One of the more debatable contributions of our business culture to what we do in America has been the advent of what we call icebreaker questions. Now, you know what those are, any kind of group that you're starting, any, whether it's some, a team at work or uh, some kind of friend circle that you're just getting going, a club, even a small group. Usually on your first meeting, the person who's leading will say, hey, let's get to know each other. Let's have some icebreaker questions. And it's debatable because if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, oh my goodness, I don't want to do this, or I don't think we're going to get much out of this. It's going to be like, okay, what'd you have for breakfast? Uh, who traveled the furthest? Okay, those are kind of interesting. But then we, not really, but then there's the time where you're like, I hope they don't ask the really deep stuff. Like, uh, what did you, what's your hardest time in your life in the last 10 years? You're like, not going there, not saying anything about that. Or what is, what would your friend say is your most impressive feature? And that, that's a little hard, right? Because you actually have something in mind when somebody asks you that. Yeah, I, I wish people would know me for this. This is what I think is impressive. But you can't say it because you'd be bragging. And so you say something innocuous, or maybe you just try to avoid the questions. Like, I don't know, you'd have to ask them. I can't say what my most impressive feature is. But if you know the Lord, if you're part of this Pentecost celebration, you actually have an answer to that question. And Pentecost reveals it. The most impressive feature or aspect of who I am, of who you are, is that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. That is the most impressive feature. It's different in that it is not something that I created or you created. It is entirely a gift of God. But it is something that transforms us beyond who we are into what God has always called us to be. And that's a lifetime journey. But when this text that was just read, the first text about Acts that Jason was reading, the, all the disciples, the followers of Jesus are gathered in one room as Jesus commanded them to be. And then we read that the Holy Spirit descends on them. It's this rushing wind sound. It's, it's totally loud. They don't know what to make of it. As if that's not confusing enough, tongues of fire appear over each of the people. And the power of the Holy Spirit, they're anointed with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in different languages. When we did the opening acclamation in different languages, that was to represent what the Holy Spirit does during Pentecost. And the amazing part about Pentecost, why we celebrate it, it is not only the birth of the church, it is the, the, the birth of the church comes out of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in each of the disciples. And it is something any of us who say that I'm a follower of Jesus has that same, that same mark, that same filling of the Spirit. It is an amazing leg legacy. It is, in fact, the most impressive part of who we are. And what's even more impressive is we didn't have to do anything other than to say yes to Christ. So praise God for that. That's why we're celebrating this. That's why, uh, act, that's why Pentecost is such a big deal. Here's what Henry Nouwen says about it in his book on making all things new. Pentecost is the completion of Jesus' mission. When the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and dwells with them, their lives are transformed and they become Christ-like lives, lives shaped by the same love that exists between the Father and the Son. 
Jesus never knew anything other than his heavenly Father's love throughout his life. As bad as things got, as hard as they were, as, as sort of opaque as they appeared to be at times when he wasn't quite sure where he was being called next, we'll stay here until I'm told to do something else. I'm going to heal for a little bit and now it's time to go into another place. The only time he was not aware of his father's love is when he had to, when he's on the cross, breathing his last, suffering for our sake, that we might be able to say today, I belong to Christ. And in that moment of bearing all the sin, all the things that we rightly deserve, everybody has deserved from throughout time and history, Jesus takes that on himself. And in that moment, there is a separation that occurs because a holy, beautiful, pure, and loving God cannot look on something that is not pure or holy. And when we are apart from God, there is that unholy aspect of who we are. Jesus took that voluntarily for us. And in that brief moment, he did not know the Father's love, but he did not know it briefly until we, so that we would know it forever. And that's hard to appreciate at times. Tim Keller, some of you know that the amazing pastor at Redeemer, New York, passed away recently. One of the obituaries I read said he would often say that the gospel says more, it says that each of us is more sinful and flawed than we could ever dare to believe. But we're also more loved than we ever dared to hope. That's a good summation of how much God loved the Son. And now how much the Son loves us. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is that constant presence that literally the person of Jesus in a well, I don't want to get all about the Trinity, but he is one of the aspects of the Godhead, his own person. He is the Spirit of Christ indwelling in us. We're going to look at what that means. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. I'll, we'll start to look at the, the Holy Spirit when we look at, at what uh, scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is coming and he is doing so many different things. He's, now, most of the time when the Spirit is mentioned in Scripture, there's a Greek word for it called paraclete, parakleo. It really means to, it, it's to come alongside. It's to call for help. So he's variously known as the helper, as the counselor. If you're, uh, there's a legal term called the advocate that's often used. But it is this idea that the Spirit comes alongside those who belong to God, those who are disciples of Christ, and helps us in all manner of what we need. We have just begun a journey, relatively speaking, in this life in Christ. Some of us may have been walking for decades. Some of us may have just started. Some of us may be just thinking about it, like I'm not really sure what this is all about. But wherever we are, we always need the Holy Spirit to go before us, to guide us, to give us the help that we need. The term is actually used in ancient Greek text, according to Tim Mackey, that parakleo is used of a larger vessel that comes alongside a, a smaller vessel, which in the Mediterranean can get pretty rough. It's windy and the waves are pounding. And if you're a small vessel, your odds of survival are a lot less than if you're a larger vessel. And so the parakleo, the larger vessel, comes alongside to shield, to support, to provide ballast. Our Holy Spirit does that in each of our lives in countless ways. It would be fun to, we could do that at the party afterwards. Talk about like ways that you found the Spirit supporting you, sustaining you, 
when you didn't expect it, when you thought, you know, all I have to rely on is my own resources. And when we run out of resources, we try to make up the, the lack with anxiety. As if somehow a lack of resources plus anxiety will really make the day that we want it to be. We all know that that isn't the case. And in such times, the Holy Spirit in us, God around us, it is an opportune time to turn to the Spirit and say, I need your help. I need your counsel. I need your wisdom about what to do in this situation. It is amazing to myself how often, with as much sort of decades of experience I have, I still go down the road of trying to figure out how to deal with whatever is in front of me. Have you ever said to yourself, oh, I've got this? And then realize, actually, you don't got this. In fact, you shouldn't have any part of this, that you should be giving it over to the Lord in a very real way. But there's something about us like, oh, yeah, I got this. And the Spirit, in his, all his love, because he's the Spirit of Christ, comes alongside and says, you know what? Actually, I got this. If you'll let me do it. If you'll give it over to me. If you'll surrender it in prayer. Sometimes we just like to get in this sort of tug of war. You, I got it. And then the Lord says, I'll take it. And you let it go, but you don't quite take your hands off it. And you pull it back. This is what... Part of what Pentecost means is to allow the Spirit to so indwell us that we would know that when Jesus says, this is how I want you to live, this is the plan that I have, this is the, the hope, this is what I am calling you to do, bless you, that the Lord is, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't need us to, to like sort of counsel a little bit. We might want to ask, Lord, it's okay to test the spirits. It's okay to say, Lord, is that really you? It's okay to say, I've got these I've got some questions, if not doubts. That, that's a little bit of wrestling, but let him win if you're wrestling. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside. He's the one who advocates for us. He is the one, of course, that as I've been saying, he's indwelling us. When he indwells us, he, he, he is always, he's just literally a prayer or a conversation away. And in that indwelling, he points us to the future of being with God forever, of being able to see this world that we know has its challenges and knows has, has its setbacks and all those things, to have that restored and recreated, to have the life that we originally intended to have with God. He indwells us. The other thing that he's doing in us, of course, is you'll, you'll notice from the text that the Spirit is coming to a community. He's coming to a group of disciples Yes, he's, the tongues are descending individually, but collectively, there's a reason that they are together. There's a reason that the Spirit waits for them to be together, and this is one of the key reasons, is that with each person that is a disciple and follower of the Lord, when the Spirit comes upon them, he is giving particular gifts, particular abilities, that when used in the context of the church, are there to reflect more and more who Jesus is. When Ben was reading that passage in 1 Corinthians, there were a couple gifts that were manifested. There was a gift of wisdom. Uh, that would be somebody who just has the ability to discern things in a way that, you know, I think God has this for us or this direction. Not everybody has that gift. Some people are more with the gift of faith. The, the way the faith is mentioned here, it's like we, the corporate world might call it visionary, but it's more than a vision. It's more, it's the sense of, I just feel that God wants us to do, and then they'll name some ministry or some particular task, and the rest of the group is looking around, they're saying, I don't know how that's happening. I don't see any resources. I don't see any people. 
I don't see much of what I think we would need to really get that going. But they have a sense of faith of what God may be calling them to. This is church planting. People go into a particular part of the world or particular neighborhood with not much other than a sense of God's call. There's gifts of healing that are mentioned in the passage that Ben read. Healing. You know, so much of Jesus' ministry was about healing people. Healing them from disease, healing them from uh, withered arms, healing blindness, any number of things. And what he's doing when he's healing is he's, he's forecasting what life will look like when there's no more sin and no more death. He's taught, later on, Scripture talks about a world in which there's no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain. And Jesus' ministry is about saying, this is what that will look like. He didn't heal, I mean, he just didn't heal everybody that he saw, but he healed as a way of, of allowing people to see that what it meant to have God come to this earth that is so desperate for him. So he's healing, he's raising people from the dead. And, the, and Jesus... By, by Pentecost, with the descent of the Holy Spirit, we've now been commissioned to do the same things that he's done. You know, May and June are a time where the military academies have their graduation. Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, Naval graduates both, Navy and Marines, Army, West Point. And if you're a graduate, two things happen on that day. You get the degree for all the hard work you did for the four years, and you receive your commission as an officer. You're not done just because you got a degree. It's actually just the start of your career in the military. There, in a very real way, there's that sense of when the Spirit comes upon us, it's sealing us like, okay, we belong to the Lord, fantastic. I, I need that. That's such an assurance. But at the same time, I'm being commissioned to go out and be his body, to be part of his body, part of the church. And so that's what's going on in Pentecost. That we're to use each of the gifts that we, we have, who you are. You, there, there's nobody who's superfluous to the body of Christ. There's nobody who's part of Holy Trinity that doesn't belong here. In fact, part of the reason we uh, are looking forward and praying for more people to be a part of this is because they will bring who they are and the gifts that God has given them and we will be able to collectively more fully understand who he is and to live in him. That is really cool and really exciting. So that's, you know, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. The Holy Spirit comes collectively to us as a group of people so that we might know Jesus and might actually show him to the world. When churches get together, all kinds of things start to happen. There's so many churches that, that we know that are involved in particular works. They're starting, you know, they've started a school or they've started a free clinic for people that just don't have access to medical care. Our own church is particularly focused on helping people from time to time who are unhoused or who are food insecure. I mean, there's huge disparities where we live. And if we can be helpful in that way, that's not unique to us, but that's just something that we live out the calling that God has for us to be salt and light to the world around us. So that's part of what the Pentecost is. God has commissioned us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's ascended. He's not here. Who's there to do his work? We are. How are we going to do it? By being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And basically, here it is in a nutshell, he leads and we follow. If you look at Acts, that's pretty much it. 
Now, I love being in the valley for a lot of reasons, not least of which it really tries to distill things. This is the home of the hack. We're trying to figure out how to get it to an irreducible minimum. Here's acts irreducibly minimized, if you would forgive me for that kind of indulgence. But it's this. The Holy Spirit leads his followers, his church, and we follow where he leads. At times, that will be the, the, the opportunity, what that means to, to see people blessed in the way we were talking about, to see people healed as we pray for them, to see uh, things started that weren't there. Somebody has an act of faith, and suddenly, a, a year or two from now, there's something going on that nobody but that one person imagined, and we got around that. That's the Holy Spirit leading us. That is really cool. But in all those success stories, you know, what's often overlooked is all the challenges that went along the way. The hardships, the difficulties, the setbacks, the naysayers, the opposition, the lack of funds, the perseverance, the fatigue. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is right there in that time, in that place, sustaining us, helping us when we need him to do that. And the Holy Spirit who indwells us, he is really just a prayer away, a conversation away. Lord, help me in this time. If we don't follow, you know, the Holy Spirit leads. He's gentle. Somebody said he's a gentleman. He won't insist on his way. But the life that he has for us as individuals, the life that he has for us as a church, has no superior. There's nothing that I would want to do other than to be in his following him where he is leading. There's nothing I want for us to do as a church other than to follow him where he is leading, and to depend on that. The book of Acts is, aside from the Gospels, one of the biggest, largest books in the New Testament. In my Bible, it's 32 pages long. All the other New Testament books are much shorter. But this is, you know what this is? This is a group of stories about the Holy Spirit leading and people following. What if he led and they didn't follow. What, what would Acts be like? Actually, I have my own little book of Acts. I looked up where, where the Holy Spirit is specifically mentioned. Now, Acts is all about the movement of the Holy Spirit. But there's times where he is actually called out. Such as we just heard when, when Peter, well, actually after what was just read about Acts 2, Peter preaches and 3,000 people are saved. But if Peter just had that experience and didn't follow up with the way that the Spirit was leading him to actually share the gospel and just said, that was fantastic, super mind-blowing experience to have the Holy Spirit descend on us. Now let's just go back and have a meal. Who would be saved? Nobody. No Acts 2. Later on in Acts 8, Philip, after the church is, has to scatter because of persecution, he comes alongside the Ethiopian eunuch. This is a, a, a man who's part of the court of Candace. And he's, the eunuch is reading Isaiah, and Philip comes up and says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he says, how can I, unless somebody tells me? And so Philip shares the gospel. The man gets baptized. Then and there, as they come to the first available body of water, but the Holy Spirit led Philip to that conversation. If Philip had said no, the Holy Spirit leads. But if Philip doesn't follow, there's no Ethiopian eunuch. There's no gospel that goes to Ethiopia, to the Horn of Africa. Paul, when he has his road to Damascus, Damascus experience, he's prayed for 
and he's receiving the Holy Spirit to equip him for ministry. But if, I think it's Aeneas, didn't do that, that's not happening. Gentiles are included in the gospel. Peter goes to Cornelius, a Roman centurion, at the prompting of the Spirit. But if Peter didn't lead, if Peter didn't follow the leading, no Cornelius. And on and on it goes. Acts becomes pretty small as a book if we don't follow as he leads. But at the end of the time, you know, when there's rejoicing in heaven in that end, the last book in the New Testament are the saints that are rejoicing. The saints that are, they're crying, those that are martyred are crying out for justice and those that are there opening the books. Everybody is singing and everybody's rejoicing. And you know what? Regardless of the level of hardship, and there is real hardship that are, there are times of unbearable challenge and suffering. So I don't want to minimize that. I pray against that for as much as I can. But I know that this is coming to some of us and all of us in certain ways in certain places. That we might glorify God. That we might even in those times be an example. That we, in, in, especially in those times, be faithful to Him. The Holy Spirit leads us through those times as much as through the good and prosperous times too. And it's even in the harder times that the manifestation of God on us becomes more apparent. So I just want to leave us with with the, the encouragement that the life that we have to live, as long or as short as it may appear, is a life that is worth living because the Holy Spirit indwells us. The only way that we can live it, in fact, is because he indwells us. So when those that are outside of Pentecost in that day say, what does this mean? What this means is this, that we belong to the Lord, that through his Holy Spirit he seals us. We will always belong to him. And that our, the life that we were made to live, the life that will give us the greatest fulfillment is the life that we allow him to lead in and we follow. Amen. Amen.